This fucking guy. Hello, my banana nut muffins. Welcome to This Fucking Guy, a podcast about self-care, if self-care is one long scream into the void. Here is where we use expletives and alcohol to emotionally process the creeps, the jerks, the fuckwits that compose the shitty elevator music of our lives. I've already broken my New Year's resolution, Ren Martinez. And I didn't have one to begin with, Ginger Golub. How you doing, Gingy? I am. I am ready. I am full of cranberry juice and vodka. And I am ready to tell tales. Are you ready to tell tales? I am ready to listen to tales. Well, but first, is there anything you need to scream into the void? So, uh, Mississippi, the Mississippinese. The Mississippinese. (laughs) The great Mississippinese of the American (laughs) Southeast. So Mississippi Governor Phil Bryant uh, took to Twitter last weekend and said, quote, If Mike Espy and the Liberal Democrats gain the Senate, we will take that first step into a thousand years of darkness. (laughs) A thousand years of darkness. A thousand years of darkness. But specifically because... Uh, Mike Espy would be the first black senator. So if Mississippi manages to elect its first black senator, they will enter a thousand years of darkness. Which, oh boy. Oh Oh boy. I mean, I don't think that they said it to be a selling point to us, but I'm just like, yeah, that sounds sounds great, fam. And he's doing this uh, supporting senator, Cindy Hyde-Smith. I don't know if you recall that name. Um, she was the lady that said she would be front row at a public lynching. Oh, God. That yeah. Was, oh God. So it's just, it's gangbusters down in mm. Mississippi Nimini. All right, Ginger. I'm sitting you down. Relax. Again, this is a safe space. Why don't you tell me about this fucking guy? Perhaps specifically. About some dead asshole. All right, you're ready. You're ready for a dead asshole. I'm always ready. So I, I'm going to um, I'm going to delve sort of once more, and probably for the last time in a while, into that period right before the Roaring Twenties, but after the Civil War. That just like it was like a black hole, a weird black hole where a lot of stuff happened that nobody talks about. A lot of stuff happened. Nobody talks about it. They're like, maybe the telephone was invented. I'm not mm. sure. Um, but uh, we're, we're going to go back in time. So I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to picture in your mind Sam the Eagle from The Muppet Show. That blue eagle <laughs> with, the, with the really striking eyebrows. This went into a direction I was not expecting, but okay. Okay. I pictured him. You He's pictured, pictured him in your mind? Pictured, okay. Yes. Now, can you imagine Carson from Downton Abbey? The, the butler, okay. Sort of the main butler from Downton e- Abbey. Yeah. Uh-huh. Can you imagine those two fucking? Not particularly. Okay. But, ima- <laughs> but imagine that they had and they, and they produced. I just, I just didn't know there was a lot of Muppet fucking on Downton Abbey. <laughs> Maybe the lost seasons. <laughs> the Let's next... bring back that viewership. <laughs> I mean, it's PBS owns them both. It's 
you know. That's true. Downton Abbey Muppet crossover. Uh, <gasps> that actually sounds delightful. Oh my god, that sounds so good. Oh I, my goodness. But no. I know you have a point. What? Fuck. Fuck me. <laughs> you, what was, you're talking. Okay, so the offspring of Sam the Eagle and Carson from Downton Abbey would look exactly like your president and mine, Warren G. Harding. Oh, yeah. We've briefly glossed over this We've briefly dude. glossed over him in uh, my last little spiel on the coal mining wars. And we've, we're bringing him back again. Warren G. Harding was probably known as Warren G. Harding because his middle name was Gallimel. <laughs> and no one liked that. Wait, isn't that the guy that smashes watermelons? That's Gallagher. Oh. <laughs> but I thought Gallimel was like the bad guy on the Smurfs? Yeah! Yeah! Gar- Gargamel! Oh, okay. Gar- close enough. I believe that Warren G. Harding was the villain on the Smurfs. I don't think I have <laughs> anything in here to prove that that was not the case. He was born on November 2nd, 1865 in Blooming Grove, Ohio, and was the eldest of eight children born to George Tyron Harding and Phoebe Elizabeth Dickerson, a doctor and a midwife, which you would definitely want to be if you've got eight kids. I think yeah. if you're not a doctor and a midwife, by the time you start popping out eight kids, like, by the end, you are a doctor and a midwife. Well, admittedly, like, when you have these sort of, like, old-timey families where they have eight children, you know, like, they had another six or eight that died because that's all that happened. Is The reason you had so many is because you knew some of them were going to pop off for one reason or another. I mean, Trampled it... by horses, devoured by typhoid... Falling into uh, the Mississippi. I'm, I'm sorry, it, took, it took my brain a moment to catch up with devoured by horses. You <laughs> didn't by say horses. devoured by horses. <laughs> no, I said trampled by horses and devoured by typhoid. Not that you can be devoured by typhoid. Devoured by horses and trampled by typhoid. <laughs> That's my new album. Yes. Um, it's going to feature a mandolin and then just screaming. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Coming soon on my SoundCloud. <laughs> a mandolin and screaming. Okay, so uh, in 1870, when he was like five years old, the Harding family moved to Caledonia, Ohio. That's hard to say. <laughs> Caledonia sounds like a Roman city, so that was, it was a little I, it bit It probably off. was. I don't know. Where Warren's dad acquired the Argus, a local <laughs> weekly newspaper. That also fits. That also okay. fits. So after graduating college, uh, Warren raised $300, which is like $8,000 today, uh, with some others to purchase a failing newspaper, The Marion Star. This sounds like sort of like a heartwarming YA novel, but for fiscal mm-hmm. conservatives, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> the 18-year-old Harding used the railroad pass that came with the paper, because a railroad pass came with the paper, to attend the 1884 Republican National Convention in Chicago. Because what else are a young man's dreams made of? Hey man, I know podcasts that do that all the time. They're like, we're sending these people off to this convention and this convention to talk about stuff. That's journalism. Yeah, well, when he but got... He's a journal- is he a... I mean, he bought it, but is he a journalist? He is a journalist. Well, okay. he's like a newspaper owner. He's like in journalism. He's a journalist the same way that like Rupert Murdoch is a journalist. Where oh. he's not not a journalist... But he is but touching butts he is without touching permission. Butts. Boy, howdy. Just wait. Um, <laughs> so in 
Warren goes on his big boy holiday out of town, he comes back and he finds out that the local sheriff has seized the newspaper? Was that a thing that people did? I don't know. And it's one of those things, you know, much like certain uh, commandeered trains and (laughs) just one of those things that Wikipedia threw in there like a multiple cocktail, never explained again. I guess that was a thing you could do back then i don't know you can do that now um it also like the way of course again this is like the 18 whatevers by seizing the newspaper it's not like they're taking over like the brand or like the the copyright it's probably just like sheriff bob sitting at your desk and we don't know what to do (laughs) like i own this now and, and, and i i have i have to correct myself they uh they didn't seize the newspaper they reclaimed the newspaper presumably there is a difference i'm not quite sure what but uh yeah warren's dad uh helped him raise money to buy it again because because sure why Why not? not um the paper did very well and allowed harding to become wealthy and influential and to date warren g harding is the only u.s president to have had journalism experience i don't count the current one no he doesn't have journalism experience he has broadcaster experience well not even broadcast i mean he's like i mean he's more of a league of ronald reagan is that he's he's appeared on film oh i i had a beautiful moment just a second ago where i forgot that ronald reagan happened oh what i would have done to live in that world it was it was a nice minute (laughs) so a few words about uh harding's wife Florence Kling was five years older than Harding. Her father was a banker and a developer named Amos Kling. Harding badmouthed the shit out of Kling in his newspaper for reasons. But there was, like, some solid beef. Uh, She allegedly eloped with some other guy. And then a few months later, returned to Ohio, no husband, but with an infant son named Marshall. Husband, as far as I know, never showed up. She murdered her husband. She maybe murdered her husband, or she maybe just had a child out of wedlock, and this is how they had to do it because it was the 1880s. Um, she murdered her husband. I'm going to go with this narrative thread. No one can murdered prove her husband. She seems like a baller. I will, like, go ahead and say this. She seems like the only person in the story that I'm like, I kind of like you, Florence Kling. So Florence became a piano teacher, and one of her students was uh, Harding's sister, Charity. And so, you know, they had their cute little meet cute over a piano recital, which is, like, probably the sexiest thing to do in Marion, Ohio, in the late 1880s. Play footsie at a piano recital where your sister's playing. Yes. Like, She started dating uh, Warren Harding um, and by 1886 she had gotten a divorce. They were dating. Um, Her father did not support this match. I mean, didn't, yeah, because he kept shit talking him. You would think that was why. You would fucking think that that's the reason why her oh, father didn't support okay. the match. He didn't support it because he believed that Warren G. Harding had African American blood. What? <laughs> so this. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, some random racist shit. Just yeah, just in some here. random racist shit. It like it pro. It, like. 
I don't hold think on, hold that on. I'm gonna Google a picture of Warren G. Harding. I, mean, I already told you he looks like the love child of Sam the Eagle and Carson from Downton Abbey. Oh no, I I believe you on how he looks, but like I'm just gonna kind of see if I can't. Okay, first of all, my uh, Google automatically populated as Warren G. Greatest Hits. Not the same man. Not the same man. No, that's that looks like a rap artist. Is Warren G African American? He is absolutely African American. Okay, is it possible that that's what Amos Kling thought he was talking about? I mean, you can listen to uh, his single "I Want It All." His um, eighteen ninety single "I Want It All" by Warren G. By Warren G. Mm. <laughs> Winnie G breaking in the hits. Nah, this man white as shit. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. What the fuck? He is Caucasian in the persuasion. And I definitely see what you mean. Like, those eyebrows, though. Those eyebrows, though. Those eyebrows were very strong. So, like, it wasn't true that he was part African-American. That was, like, some weird, I guess nobody else had any better gossip to spread. So they decided that they were going to try to make that a thing. So it wasn't true. But, like, moreover, fuck that guy. Right. For just being a huge racist. So Amos started to spread rumors of Harding's supposed black heritage and encouraged local businessmen to boycott Harding's business interests. When Harding found out what Kling was doing, he warned Kling, quote, that he would beat the tar out of the little man if he didn't cease. I mean, fair. I mean, that is like the peak of Reconstruction era Ohio shit talk. Oh, yeah. So admittedly, I mean, don't get me wrong, I think that's a piece of shit move, but I'm guessing, like, Winnie G's response is less like, how dare you, like, use this racist shit to, like, get between me and your daughter, but it's more like, how dare you say I'm a black man? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I will go ahead and say that Warren was not nearly the racist piece of shit that, like, Woodrow Wilson, his predecessor, was. All right, Um, But... It is Ohio in 1880. It is Ohio in the 1880s. It's not exactly an anti-racist utopia. No. No, it's not. The Hardings were married on July 8th, 1891. They didn't have any children together, but politics was their baby. I wrote that myself. I'm so proud of it. (laughs) Uh, Florence Harding became deeply involved in her husband's career, both at the star and after he entered politics, and many credit her with, like, being the reason he was a successful dude because she was i mean how many stories are you going to tell me about these incompetent presidents who have a wife that basically run their shit most of them (laughs) i mean not buchanan oh that's true not buchanan but buchanan is is regarded by most historians to be the worst one well that's true um but yeah like Woodrow Wilson had the whole same thing. Like, his his second wife was, like, running the fucking show. She was owning it. She was doing her shit. And clearly Florence was doing her shit. And, like, thinking, like, Eleanor Roosevelt, Dolly Madison, like, getting it. Yeah. Though Dolly Madison was also a huge racist piece of shit. And, like, the slaves at the White House were, like, more afraid of Dolly, apparently. Because she would happily fuck your shit over. (laughs) To be continued on that one. Uh, soon after purchasing the Marion Star, Harding turned his attention to politics. Harding's success as an editor took a toll on his health, though. In five times between 1889, so when he was 23, 
1901 when he was 25. He spent time at the Battle Creek Sanatorium for reasons that one of his biographers described as fatigue, overstrain, and nervous illnesses. So... Hashtag same. Hashtag same. They're probably making him eat a whole bunch of cereal. I don't think that they... I don't think that they were masturbating like the men the way they did the women for hysteria. Like, I, but that's sort of what I have in mind when I think of sanatoriums in 1890. You know, sounds fun. Kellogg, an interesting history. Florence more or less took over the star so Warren could go on to be a politician. In 1899, Harding was elected as a state senator to Ohio. Like most politicians of his time, Harding accepted the patronage and graft would be used to repay political favors. He arranged for his sister Mary, who was legally blind, to be appointed as a teacher at the Ohio School for the Blind, although there were better qualified candidates. I have such mixed feelings about that, because I'm just like, you know, good for you trying to make your sister's life... I mean, it's nepotism, but, like... But disability positive nepotism? Yeah. I oh I definitely such... want to support disability employment, you know. Right. Uh, mm. yeah. yeah, but also um in another trade he offered to pu- he offered publicity in his newspaper in exchange for free railroad passes for himself and his family, which is a little bit more like That's just that's yeah, just straight. That's yeah. just bribery. According to his biographer, quote, It is doubtful that Harding ever thought there was anything dishonest in accepting the prerequisites of position for office. Patronage and favors seemed like the normal reward for party service. I mean, it's a great American tradition. I know, but it's gross and I don't like it. No, I mean, that's also a great American tradition. So Harding tried to uh, run for governor in 1903, but he was shut down by the Ohio political machine. You know, the Ohio political machine. You know, when I think of, like, balls-busting politics, like, full-on, this is where the magic's happening. I think Ohio. Ohio. (laughs) Just the mean streets of Cleveland, as they so often say. Instead, he became the lieutenant governor, uh, and uh, he dropped out of politics for a little from 1905 to 1910 because of hashtag drama. And in 1910, he ran and lost the race for governor in Ohio. Um, He tried again and ran for senator in 1914. He won mostly because he wasn't Catholic, but uh, he was also aided by his boring and mediocre campaign style. Aided. Yep. By his boring and mediocre campaign style. Hey, you know how people like Joe Biden? Okay, okay, I get it. So a lot of this is going to be very Joe Biden. A lot of... (laughs) (laughs) Warren G. Harding, the original Joe Biden. In a lot of political ways, it's sort of very, um, very Joe Biden, like a little Pete Buttigieg, um, just sort of mediocrity, mediocrity as... A path to being this fucking guy. Yeah, yeah, because it's like, people are like, well, let's just, you know, stay essentially the same and do nothing. I don't think it's any kind of a spoiler to um, call his campaign style and, like, all of his campaigning for any office he was ever campaigning for as, like, promising a return to normalcy. 
does he did he know how to hold a baby? Because I know Joe Biden has no idea how to hold a baby. I don't think he knew how to hold he certainly didn't have a baby. Well, he didn't he and his wife didn't have any babies. So, so he probably would have done the, the just grab that right baby right by the dick. Like what a weird <laughs> such a weird photo. You know the one I'm talking about. I don't. What? And so the phrase grab that baby right by the okay, dick is well, really concerning. Okay, well, all right, listeners, to me. listeners, I need to take a quick break to show Ginger this photo so she can understand what Warry G. Harding was grabbing babies by the dick the same way Joe Biden. Oh God. <laughs> oh, Joe Biden. <laughs> Stop, stop grabbing that baby by the dick. <laughs> it's such a great, weird picture. What the fuck? It's, I think it's really representative of Joe Biden and his campaign, honestly. I mean, he looks like he's so used to sort of putting his hand out to shake somebody's hand at that exact level that he doesn't realize that he's just grabbed Woo! onto baby Willie. Yeah. Uh, and, like, so... to be fair, the Willie isn't out. No, but, I mean, I figure... It's a clothed baby dick. I, I figure most people... Again, Joe Biden, baby picture, comes right on up. I'm... And this is Warren G. Harding. <laughs> See, my whole thing is to build my style of rhetoric on dead assholes because they can't sue me. So I feel the need just to protect my ass from libel to clarify that Joe Biden only grabs clothed baby dicks as far <laughs> as we know. Let it only be said. Bold stance. Uh, but yeah, no, so he was actually aided by his boring, mediocre, just unbelievably boring campaign style. One Harding friend deemed the candidate's stump speech during the 1914 fall campaign as, quote, a rambling, high-sounding mixture of platitudes, patriotism, and pure nonsense. This was his friend... This also sounds like Joe Biden. Yeah, there's there, there's a whole bunch of, like, catty 1920s shit talking this one. I love it. So to put this into the context of time, Harding was a junior senator under the Woodrow Wilson uh, Democratic presidency. He was pretty popular as a senator because he was boring and mediocre. Um, fuck me what I wouldn't give for boring and mediocre. I mean, that's... That's true. Some people decided in 2016 we wanted to shake things up, and we they sure did. We sure they did. They sure did. So. I, I, I long for the days where I am bored again. Harding spoke and voted in favor of the resolution to join World War I in 1917. Uh, he argued for giving Wilson almost dictatorial powers, stating that Democracy had little place in time of war. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. It's also not going to surprise you that a lot of people compare him to Trump. A lot of people compare him to Trump. A boring, mediocre Trump, apparently. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, he wasn't bombastic in the same way, but in terms of, like, cronyism and... Patronage, uh, you know, and, like let yeah. in getting elected on a platform of like let's make everything like it was. Yeah, I mean there are some similarities there, but like and wanting somebody to have dictatorial powers. Yeah, that's always not a great look. Harding voted for most war legislation, including the Espionage Act of nineteen seventeen. Uh, in May 1918, Harding uh, was losing that loving feeling for Wilson. 
Harding ultimately opposed Woodrow Wilson's League of Nations idea, which, as we know, uh, thanks to episode, I want to say, seven of ours? Go back and listen to episode seven, or whichever one it is. It's called No Tommy Now. Yeah. Uh, go back and listen to No Tommy Now. But, yeah, the League of Nations did not become law in the United States, so Warren Gallimel Harding got his way. <laughs> Warren Gargamel Harding. <laughs> Gargamel Harding got his way. <laughs> On December 17th, 1919, Harding made a low-key announcement of his presidential candidacy. Everything he did was fairly low-key. Um, Except for all the dictators are great as long as they agree with me. I mean, he was doing that in a pretty low-key way. Yeah, he's like very chill. Like he's, you know, he's in his, like, chilling out. He's smoking some some bud. He's like, y'all, he, he kept all dictators of his... are great. He as kept... long as it's everything I agree with. All of his high-key nonsense was tamped so far down that it just manifested itself in needing to go to sanatoriums like every six months and heart disease. But he just, he, he, he was so even keel on the surface and was just... Screaming on the inside. Screaming on the inside. Warren Gallimel Harding, screaming on the inside. <laughs> Vote for me. So he announced that he was running for president. He did very bad in the first part of the primary. By the Republican convention, June 1920, there was a lot of dissent within the party about who the nominee should be. No one thought it was going to be Harding at that point. There were like two guys that they were like, should be this guy or this guy. We love Republicans. This is is still before the Southern switch, though. Because I don't think the Southern switch has happened yet. I don't think so. This is still Fair. the party of Lincoln. It's, yeah. the If the party of Lincoln is also the party of Harding, like, you probably should. At some should. point we need to do an episode about the Southern Switch, because there are a lot of fucking guys that's, in that thing. Mm, that's a good point. Mm. Maybe we'll burn that one on the pyre for Black History Month, I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot of dissent within the party about who the nominee should be, with most people backing two candidates that weren't Harding. On the night of June 11th through 12th, 1920, um, that night would become famous in political history as the night of the smoke-filled room. That's way more dramatic than I think the It absolutely entails. is. In which, legend has it, mm. Wikipedia's wording, not mine, uh, party elders agreed to force the convention to nominate Harding because he was less of a liability than the two most popular guys. The reassembled delegates had heard rumors that Harding was the choice of a cabal of senators, and although this was not true, delegates believed it and sought a way out by voting for Harding. They had been there for a long time and they just wanted to leave so bad. <laughs> Harding was ultimately nominated for the Republican ticket with Calvin Coolidge as vice president, mostly because everyone was so tired of arguing about it and they wanted to go home. I mean, that sounds like politics. Basically. So, are you ready for some catty 1920s bitches? Yes! Yes. Okay. So, uh, Harding's vague oratory irritated some. The New York world found Harding the least qualified candidate since James Buchanan, deeming the Ohio senator a, quote, weak and mediocre man who never had an original idea. (laughs) Uh, One reporter described a typical Harding speech as, quote, an army of pompous phrases moving over the landscape in search of an idea. Sometimes these meandering words... (laughs) 
actually capture a straggling thought and bear triumphantly a prisoner in their midst <laughs> until it died of servitude and overwork. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's beautiful. That's beautiful and brutal, and I love it so much. Ooh, <laughs> a woo. prisoner in their midst. H.L. Uh, Mencken concurred, quote, It reminds me of a string of wet sponges. It reminds me of tattered washing on the line. It reminds me of stale bean soup, of college yells, of dogs barking idiotically through endless nights. (laughs) (laughs) What great visuals. Savage. Oh, I'm not done. I keep being reminded of Joe Biden. Uh, Continue. It is so bad that a kind of grandeur creeps into it. It drags itself out of the dark abyss of pish and crawls in insanely up the topmost pinnacle of Tosh. It is rumble and bumble. It is balder and dash. Now that is that is a Trump thing. Yeah, that, yes. I can feel the I can feel the the Trump emanating yep, 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 yep. <laughs> from that one. But oh, oh, these guys spicy. And the New York Times took a more positive view of Harding's speeches, stating that in them the majority of people could find quote a reflection of their own indeterminate thoughts <laughs> meaning that people dumb and they people respond dumb. to dumb mm-hmm. they're like that man thinks like i do because i'm dumb <laughs> oh god <laughs> these so, catty bitches these catty catty bitches um so harding was like very Ohio. I've never been to Ohio, so I don't know what Ohio is, but he was very Ohio. And in Marion, Ohio, Harding ran his campaign almost entirely from his front porch. Literally. He literally ran his campaign from his front porch. This was an idea that he took from McKinley, who literally campaigned from his front porch, and he was so fucking unoriginal that he had his front porch redone to look like McKinley's front porch. Hey, that guy had a great idea, and I'm going to do the same exact thing. As a newspaper man himself, he fell into easy camaraderie with the press covering him, enjoying a relationship few presidents have equaled. His, quote, return to normalcy theme was aided by the atmosphere that Marion provided, an orderly place that induced nostalgia in many voters. The RNC hired Albert Lasker, an advertising executive from Chicago, to publicize Harding, and Lasker, 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 eh. and Albert unleashed a broad-based advertising campaign that used many now standard advertising techniques for the first time in a presidential campaign. So there's a lot of stuff that we're going to get into um, over the next couple years for, like, stuff Harding did and why he was this fucking guy. This, I think, is the worst thing he ever did, and it does not get enough coverage. But most sinister of all, telemarketers were used to make phone calls with scripted dialogues to promote Harding, and that's the first time that was used in a presidential campaign. Thanks, Winnie! Thanks, Winnie! Harding received 60.2% of the popular vote, which was the highest percentage since the evolution of the two-party system and just a landslide win in the Electoral College. 
He appointed some real stinkers to cabinet positions and was the motherfucker who let Will Hayes be the postmaster general, and we will get into that later. Okay. But if you've I'm heard not... of the Hayes Code, just keep that in your back pocket nothing. for for a couple episodes from now, maybe. Okay. Um, he also appointed his bestie and campaign manager, um, a guy named Daughtry, as attorney general, which annoyed people. Uh, and his Senate friend... Albert B. Fall of New Mexico was appointed to be the Interior Secretary, ignoring the fact that Fall was a pro-development minor. So good wow. luck, nature. I've it's I've never that's never happened. It would almost be like putting an oil tycoon as the head of the EPA. What a weird thing! <laughs> what to a weird do. thing you could do. He was opposed by conservationists such as Guilford Pinchot, who wrote, quote, It would have been possible to pick a worse man for Secretary of the Interior, but not altogether easy. <laughs> <laughs> stone cold, these dudes. They stone cold. Um, Albert Fall would uh, feel more at home in today's Republican Party as he saw regulations as an impediment to jobs and development. Uh, he was a product of the western frontier of New Mexico, made his money as a lawyer representing timber, mining, and oil companies, and hated bureaucrats. Wow, he sounds like he'd be a real big fan of those, uh, those, uh, false detective agency, like, getting all up into... <laughs> the Felts. The Felts, yeah. sorry. The Felts detective agency, getting all up into mm-hmm, coal miner shit. Mm-hmm. Maybe all- pu- putting some guns on trains. <laughs> All things are connected, dude. Uh, Here is a sentence that I wrote that I don't remember writing and have no context for. Harding was a proponent of disarmament, which in a pre-nuclear era meant literally getting rid of boats and shit. (laughs) Maybe that means something to you. I don't fucking know. Oh, but it's great. So, Ren, here's where I'm really gonna blow your mind. What do you think Harding's stance on Latin America was? I'm going to guess he wanted to fuck the shit out of it. Surprisingly, he withdrew troops and gave money to Colombia for for provoking wars earlier. Uh, His 1921 Thompson... The 1921 treaty grants Colombia $25 million as compensation for the loss of Panama, which had gained its independence in 1903 with the help of the United States. Wow. Okay, I mean, that's that's good. Yeah, that's... he was he wasn't this fucking guy on that particular front. Not that I know all of the nuances of it, but just you know, needed a little palate cleanser well, from just, all of the. He really wanted to like fucking fuck over. over America. Yes, like he's like oh. y'all. Like we've already we're, we've already fucked over Latin America. You've you've done great, but like I'm really gonna focus on this country. Um, so Harding had spoken out against lynching in, uh, his April 1921 speech before Congress, and he supported a federal anti-lynching bill, which passed the House of Representatives, but was filibustered by Southern Democrats. This makes Harding sound good so far. The congressman who introduced the bill went ahead and withdrew it, meaning that it could not possibly succeed, just because there was a bill that Harding wanted heard about shipping subsidies. And he wanted that to have time to be debated. So Harding hears about black people just less than he does about boat subsidies. Cool. 
So, real cool guy. Um, also, that Bill was also filibustered. <laughs> um, Harding's administration restricted immigration um, from the tanner European countries like Italy. He signed the mm-hmm. Emergency Quota Act into law in May 1921, limiting the number of immigrants from any given country to 3% of that nationality already living in the United States by... 1910. So, like, gross. if there were 100 Irish people, only three people could get in. Yeah, that's gross. Kind of thing. That was not great. Uh, it lasted three years and served as the precursor to the harsher and permanent 1924 Immigration Act. Uh, the law represents the growing nativism of the 1920s, motivated in part by the massive influx of South and East European immigrants, the Tanner ones, into the United States following the end of World War One. Yeah, well, at this time and again, like, this isn't necessarily specific to your specific story and maybe something we can explore later. But that's because at this time, these people weren't considered white. Yeah. Like, whiteness did not include these folks. Because it's, uh, Rand, it's almost like it's a concept that doesn't actually exist. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. whiteness. So that might make this next part cathartic. whiteness does exist in terms of, like, it fucks everybody's shit up. But, like, there's no really comprehensive idea of what whiteness is. It's just changes, and that's, like, when people, you know, you be these fucking racists who are like, but, like, I was Irish, and, like, someone, like, said that you couldn't hire Irish people. I'm like, yeah, because at the time you weren't white. Now you're white. (laughs) (laughs) So Harding started having really bad stomach aches on July 27th, 1923. Oh, his poor tum-tum. This was only 800 days into his presidency. Um, He insisted on working anyway because he's sure. Um, Two days later in San Francisco, he was rushed to the hospital. Doctors found not only that his heart was causing problems, but also that he had pneumonia uh, and was confined to bed rest in his hotel room. Doctors treated him with liquid caffeine and digitalis, and he seemed to improve. Uh, By the afternoon of August 2nd, doctors allowed him to sit up in bed around 7.30 in that evening. Florence was reading him, quote, a calm review of a calm man, a flattering article from the Saturday Evening Post. And she paused to fluff his pillows and he told her, that's good, go on, read some more, which were his last words. Mm. He convulsed violently and died a few minutes later at the age of 57. Uh, And the nation plunged into mourning, little suspecting that the beloved leader they eulogized as an ideal American would soon be revealed to have been the head of the most corrupt administration in the nation's country. (laughs) You meant in the nation's history? You said in the the nation's country, (laughs) which is real cute, Um, but I knew what you meant. Shut up. (laughs) So there were some scandals that came out after Harding's death. Um, Some of them had body counts, but in the context of living in the 21st century, they're still boring, Red. They're so boring. (laughs) I don't care that people were like, I'm scandalized, I must kill myself, they were so fucking boring. But uh, just to give you a quick rundown of those ones, Attorney General Harry Daughtry was accused, this was his former campaign manager and, like, bestie, he was accused of profiting from the sale of government alcohol supplies during Prohibition, as well as selling pardons! Hey! Harding's head of the Veterans Bureau, Charles Forbes, was sentenced to two years in prison for bribery and corruption. Um, 
Other scandals involved appointees in the shipping bureau, in the alien property custodian's office, and about 85 years ago, uh, Harding's Secretary of the Interior, Albert B. Fall, announced his resignation in the midst of an unfolding scandal that would become known as Teapot Dome. Ah. Have you heard of the Teapot Dome scandal? Yes, that, well, yes. Do you have any idea what the fuck it's about? No, but I definitely had to study it for some AP test (laughs) back in high school and promptly deleted it. Same. Because, um, I I took the AP test, I passed it, I was done. And this is one of those ones, I'm going to go over it because it's important and historical, and it's one of those things that people should probably know what the Teapot Dumb scandal was. It was still so fucking boring, Ren. I'm gonna... mm. Um, So, in 1921... The most boring shitbird alive. Right? Doing boring shitbird things. So, in 1921, Albert Fall persuaded Harding to transfer the authority over two of the nation's most important oil reserves, Elk Hills in California and Teapot Dome in Wyoming, from the Navy Department to the Department of the Interior. So he was like, give me them, give me them oil reserves. And he was like, sure, if it's for parks or whatever. Dur, 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 dur. Fall then leased these reserves to private oil companies, netting himself several hundreds of thousands of dollars in gifts and loans. So like the equivalent of five million or something. Right. Um, Fall and Forbes later received jail sentences for their crimes. Um, Is this the Forbes of Forbes magazine? It was not the Forbes of Forbes magazine. They're related. Forbes, I think. I don't fucking know. Do I even remember who Forbes is from the beginning of this sentence? No, I do not. (laughs) Is it possible that I just copy and pasted that from somewhere else? It was hoping you weren't going to call me out on it. Of course. I'm sorry. I'm engaged in your storytelling. In 1929, Fall earned notoriety as the first former cabinet officer ever convicted of a felony committed while in office. He was fined $100,000, which he never paid, and served just (laughs) over nine months of a one-year prison sentence. Quote, My version of the matter is simply that I was not guilty, he told the parole board. My, I would love to go to court with that. My, my version of this, I'm not guilty. That's my version. He died in 1944 at the age of 83, never having admitted his guilt. And until Watergate, the Teapot Dome was the most infamous scandal involving a presidential administration. So basically, Harding didn't do any of this stuff, but he like knew about it and he appointed all of the assholes knowing that they would be bad at their jobs. And so... He didn't care. But he was complicit. It's sort of the complicitness. Now, I heard Teapot Dome scandal, and was I hoping that he had done something, like, real dirty with a teapot? Yeah, I kind of was, but <laughs> that's not Did what happened. Did he fuck a teapot? Did he fuck a teapot? No, the, all the weird sex stuff was Lyndon B. Johnson. He was a weird sex man. But this, 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 again, this guy is, uh, is, uh, Sam Eagle. And, like, you know Sam Eagle isn't fucking teapot. But he is letting all of his Muppet friends, like, screw the country and take money from the oil reserves. (laughs) As long as he gets a payout. Yeah, that's fair. So he wasn't fucking any teapots. But do you know what he was fucking? Who was he fucking? He was fucking a lot of people. Harding had an extramarital affair with a friend's wife, Carrie Fulton Phillips, of Marion, Ohio, because... He does not he leave Ohio. Fucked Marion, Ohio. He Everyone fucked Marion, Ohio. In Marion, Ohio. He had an affair with this woman for 15 years. Holy shit. 
before it ended in 1920, like two years before he died. Um, letters from Harding to Phillips were discovered by Harding biographer Francis Russell um, in the possession of the of a Marion uh, County attorney while Russell was researching his book. All the way back in 1963, there was like a vicious court battle over these letters. His Harding's family did not want them opened ever. Somehow they made it to the Library of Congress. They were not opened until 2014. Wow. They were found wow. in 1963 and not opened until 2014. The salacious bits of them were real gross and I did not want to have to read them to you, but I highly but recommend read them. It. I need to know. Uh, I want to know this Fifty Shades of Grey shit with Sam the Eagle. I didn't copy pasta any of them in here, so I might find them at the end and then just splice them. Harding also allegedly had an affair with Nan Britton. In 1927, Britton, also a Marianite, because he's fucking everyone in Marion, Ohio, <laughs> published The President's Daughter, alleging that her child, Elizabeth Ann Blessing, had been fathered by Harding. The book, which was dedicated to all unwed mothers and their innocent children whose fathers are usually not known to the world. Snaps, lady. Snaps. Was sold like pornography door-to-door wrapped in brown paper. Awesome. The late president's reputation had deteriorated since his death in 1923, and many believed Britain. The public was tantalized by the salacious details, such as Britain claims that the two had sex in a White House wardrobe closet. With, <laughs> with secret Get it, dog. agents posted to ward off intruders. <laughs> I mean, what else are they there for? I'm going to be like, sir, sir, the eagle has landed, sir. <laughs> and he's like, yes, the yes, eagle has has. landed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and again, this is the mediocre, boring man upon which the country pinned its hopes. Yet again. And he's just like, woo! Yet again, I, I was everyone. over Christmas, I was asking my parents for recommendations on people I should do, and either my dad or my mom, probably my dad, was like, well, why don't you do Warren Harding? And I was like, why? And he's like, didn't he fuck a wardrobe? And I was like, probably. Um, <laughs> so that's teapots, how this came up. Fucking wardrobes. Fucking teapots, <laughs> fucking wardrobes. Oh, God. According to Harding, Harding family lore, the late president was infertile and could not have fathered a child, having suffered from mumps in childhood. So, yeah, how do they know? Who did daddy is? Britain maintained that Harding had provided child support of 500 per month for their daughter he never met, but she had destroyed the romantic correspondence from him at his request. In 2015, Eve. DNA tests performed by Ancestry.com, sponsor us, um, <laughs> were used by members of the Harding and Blessing families to determine that Harding was Elizabeth's father. You are the father. Oh, oh, what you talking about now? Oh, that's great. So he paid both of his mistresses to keep quiet about their affairs, you know, like an innocent person. (laughs) The Republican National Committee paid Carrie Phillips $5,000 a month to keep twi- to keep quiet on top of an initial gift of more than $20,000. I feel like that should be illegal. Yeah, it probably was. It's almost as if like if a presidential camp if, if a presidential candidate or president uses campaign funds or otherwise political funds to keep quiet 
like salacious affairs in order to like continue and or win a presidency, that would be a bad thing. But I don't know. What I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about. Nan Britton got a lot less money. But, you know, like we said earlier, she was getting that 500 a month, often hand-delivered by the Secret Service, um, plus extra cash when they got together. Could you imagine, I'm sorry, tangent, could you imagine being a member of the Secret Service? Like, you've, you've gone, you're like, you're, you did your military service, you've decided to serve your government, you're like, I'm going to protect the president. That is such an honor. You want me to deliver money to your baby mama to keep her quiet? Okay. And stand outside this wardrobe. <laughs> and you just Make sure my wife doesn't go. And you just hear the... And you're like, uh, I went I went to Yale for this. Like, I was the top of my class. Oh, God. I, I, I could have been somebody. And now I'm just listening to the president fuck inside a wardrobe. Tabloids at the time suggested that his wife, Florence, might have poisoned him in retribution for his philandering. Get it, Florence. Uh, and this has, like, not been disproven. I really want to mention that this has not been categorically disproven, although historians have suggested it was probably just a heart attack. Close but still. A heart attack that he was, like, sick and confined to his bed for several days before and he died alone with her in a room but sure um closer to the truth may be that the president's personal doctor a homeopath who had treated florence oh no homeopathy comes into homeopathy this comes into this just at the 11th no. hour uh yeah he was being treated by a homeopath uh who probably misdiagnosed him which just contributed to his illness so that well, was it's not even that misdiagnosed it's like i'm sorry you're feeling heart palpitations you know what's the best cure for that? Belladonna. Let's get you some Belladonna just up in here. Fill you up with plant poison. So, <laughs> so that's the life and death of Warren G. Harding, who was like a lot more boring than I was hoping for. But like, at least now you will be ans- able to answer all of those questions about the Teapot Dome scandal that you were getting oh, at all of your I'm dinner so parties. I'm so glad. Um, no, I don't think that was boring at all, particularly when like. That sex stuff just, like, came out of nowhere. Like, dude be fucking. I really want to read these. Dude be fucking. I really want to hear these, like, salacious, salacious letters. Like, I know, again, I mentioned Lindy B. Johnson earlier, because I know, like, literally he, like, wrote letters to his mistresses talking about his dick and being, like, mm, it had a name for it and everything. I know what we should do, Ren. What should we do? We should, in these, uh last 30 minutes before we are supposed to leave and do some crafting for my wedding we should look up passages from these love letters and read them to each other as a patreon extra hey 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 so you know i i feel the need to put some self-care in here it's warren g harding so i was not able to like produce a whole lot of self-care tips so let's just go with um you know, make sure you are not fucking ladies who are not your wife. If you do fuck ladies who aren't your wife, please don't make it your friend's problem to stand outside your nasty wardrobe <laughs> and just keep watch to make sure your wife doesn't walk by. And also, maybe don't treat yourself with homeopathy. It's not the best way. It's really not. It's, uh, it's, um, go to a doctor. Just go to a doctor. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. you. Thank you. And um, that's going to be all for us this week, uh, folks. Yeah. Um, if you like what you're hearing, and you well should, because we're delightful, 
You should check us out on thisfnguypod.com or on Twitter at thisfnguypod. Or, again, donate to that Patreon where we're going to have that special episode, Readings Presidential Sex Passages. Yes. Uh, it's basically patreon.com slash thisfnguypod. It's on our website if you're confused. Just yes. go to the website. So, as always, I'm Ginger Golub. I'm Ren Martinez. And here's a bonus self-care tip. Uh, don't stick forks in toasters. Yeah, that sounds like a bad plan. Also, don't be this fucking guy. Peace! Peace! This fucking guy.